Hi, this is Manton Reese. And this is Daniel Jalkett. And this is Core Intuition. Reset all the things. This episode is sponsored by Digimark and Lenode. Manton Reese, entrepreneur. He says, oh, I'm, I know, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to stop working for the man. I'm going to put all my effort into one project, micro.blog. I'm going to be single-minded. I'm going to just focus <laughs> on one project and maybe write a new standard for syndication across the web based on JSON. You know, I was joking with someone that asked about this the related to micro.blog and the Slack. And I was saying, you know, side projects need side projects. It's like side projects. <laughs> side, everything has something that you could build that's related to that other thing. And JSON feed, it's not part of micro.blog, but it's very relevant. So I feel like it's a really good use of time to work on something like that. And when you say it's not part of it, is it, um, is it slated to become part of it? No. Well, I mean, the, so the standard is, you know, like Brent published the spec and it's on GitHub and it's all kind of independent of any company or whatever. That's really what I meant. But micro.blog supports JSON feed in a bunch of places already. So okay. actually all hosted micro.blog sites have a JSON feed. Uh, the API is heavily based on JSON feed. So it's JSON feed everywhere, um, which I'm really excited about the, the fact that we have a, and, and to back up a second, if did, people didn't see the news, JSON feed is kind of like RSS, but based on JSON. And to have something like that where we can describe like blog posts as JSON in a very clean, kind of elegant way, and that can be reused in other places too, like on parts of micro.blog, that's really exciting to me. It's very cool. I, I see it um, already on Twitter. Um, you know, I just shared the news on Twitter, so I'm mostly seeing like a, a, a you know a, a slice of it that replies to my tweet about it. But you know, there's a, there's kind of like the expected amount of oh great, like why did we need another standard? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you tell my bias by the way I personify <laughs> that opinion? And then there's uh, a, a lot of other like awesome. I've been wanting something to revive. You know news syndication and can you also tell my bias by the way i personify <laughs> that point of view but um i have been pleased to see that um at least among you know it, 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 it is a little biased in my favor but it's the kind of thing where like i tweet it and then you know like one of the one of the like snarkiest responses was a reply from somebody who follows john syracuse john syracusa not me and so then you get that like second order mm -hmm. of, um, and then you, you kind of like get that like, maybe even somebody who wouldn't be snarky to John because they're following John. But then if it's somebody John retweets, like, oh, you know, the floodgates are open. <laughs> like, it's, it's fair game. Um, so there's some people who are just like, mm, why did we need this? Sounds great. Blah, blah, blah. And, um, but a lot of the response I have seen. I think takes the spirit of what you and Brent Simmons, who is the co-author of this, um, the spec, what you're going for, which is basically, let me, let me see if I can summarize it for you on, on your behalf to make sure that your message is getting across. Um, I think what you're going for is RSS, the spirit of RSS, which is really simple syndication, right? That's what it stands for. Mm -hmm. well, um, depend, depend who you ask. I think, 
rich rich site summary maybe was the original i think oh, it's really? had a couple okay. versions but yeah the really simple syndication is the really official. simple syndication copyright dave weiner <laughs> um <laughs> anyway uh rss which was i grant invented by dave weiner um it's that but with the concession to the fact that the world the developer world has uh, when it comes to like interoperation and APIs has dramatically turned away from XML and towards JSON. So the idea of JSON feed is what if we had all the benefits of RSS, all the sort of ubiquity of it in a format that was easily parsable by anybody who feels comfortable with JSON. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think the problem and Brent pointed this out and I hadn't really thought about it in this way that it, I hadn't thought about it, even though I feel the same thing, which is that developers are kind of tired of having to deal with XML. You know, you, you, you're, you're building an iOS app or a Mac app, and you're hitting web services. If it's even remotely modern at all, it's a JSON web service. And then on top of that, you have to convince them to do some XML thing, just to, and then they're like, forget it. I'm just going to use my JSON web service. You know, I'm not even going to bother. And there's just there's a lot of legacy and kind of, you know, there's just messiness kind of over the years with RSS yeah. that, that comes along. And I think it's a good time. Like, I think if this uh, had been tried and has been tried, I mean, some you know people have come up over the years um, from time to time, including Dave Weiner and saying, you know, let's try a JSON here. Let's don't. And there's different formats. And I think the timing is what matters because right now is a good time in terms of, how, I don't know, just kind of giving blogging a little bit of a push. And if, if this had come along when blogging was going great and there were no problems, I think maybe there would be less of a, maybe a pressing mm-hmm. feeling that we need something. We need something new, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, it, and like, yeah, right. If um, Google Reader, for example, were still active and i think a lot of people agree that when google reader went under that it sort of was a a strike against the whole Mm -hmm. idea of like reading syndicated blogs through rss you know and adam um and so i like the feeling i'm picking up from some of you know the small number of responses i've had on twitter so far is kind of like you know yes we need to revive this idea of open syndication of blog content and if we're going to revive it, hell yeah, we should revive it with JSON instead of XML. So that reaction, if that is the predominant reaction, is, I think, a vindication of your and Brent's choice to bother with this. And it's like, it sounds so simple. This is one of those great things where it sounds so simple. It's like, oh, all we did was take RSS and map it to JSON, but... I have to tell you folks, like I've been chatting with Brenton Manton and others about this and it, it, for something that sounds so simple, it still takes thoughtful people and, you know, reviewers and feedback and consulting with other people and finding out like what's really going to work. How much should you push, push beyond what RSS does? How much should you pull back and just stick to what RSS does? How, you know, are there like minor gripes with RSS that you might as well fix while you're in there? And I think you guys did a great job. Uh, and, you know, it's one of those things where you flip the switch today, Wednesday, we're talking, uh, Wednesday, May 17th. And, of course, 
it's kind of a funny situation right now. The whole chicken and egg thing, like yeah, we've got, I don't know whether it's the chicken or the egg, but we don't have both. <laughs> we have, we have, um, we have Jason feeds galore. Thanks in small part to, um, the fact that you put together a, a WordPress plugin that can be easily dropped in to add support for this. And, um, also in thanks in part to, uh, you know, several people taking it upon themselves to go add custom support to their own blogs. So we have feeds out there. And as far as I know so far, there's, you know, I can't fire up my 2011 copy of net newswire three and start reading these things, but I think it's a great sign that the feeds are appearing. Um, and I think with things like a plugin, um, with any luck, some blogging systems getting on board and, adding support natively uh micro dot blog obviously mm-hmm. supports it um hopefully we'll start to see some of the big news readers start to support it and hey if we're really lucky we'll see people who hadn't even thought about making news readers be inspired to join in and make a new news reader and try to be part of this revival of syndicated blog content Right. It's always anytime you have a new format, I think it's an opportunity for developers to yeah, add it to an existing app and like be the first or like have something special about it where you, you can you can tell customers that this is something interesting and an opportunity for new apps that are just coming out or that haven't even been thought up yet. It's the same thing when we you know, this new Apple API or something. It's like people can jump on it and there can be something new. It's a new opportunity. And I think that same thing could happen here. There's already I'm really kind of amazed with the traction that it's gotten. And of course, yeah, some people will be negative about it and some people won't, won't like it. And that's fine. We certainly expected uh, <laughs> a, a lot of pushback on it, but I, I think there might be something to everybody knows that we need this, but no one it, it's daunting. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, who is going to try to push something like this when there are millions of RSS feeds. It, it feels like, why even bother? It's impossible. But things change over time. Yeah. And I think this is important enough and blogging is important enough that it's worth making an investment now. And tomorrow, the, the web is not going to be any different. But over time, it might be a little different. Yeah. And uh, yes, yeah, so I, I feel like everybody knows that we need something like this. But but. You know, it, there hasn't been something that uh, kind of everyone could get behind, maybe until now, and so that's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. And by the way, you're not exactly an innocent bystander on this. I mean, you <laughs> certainly heavily involved um, uh, in this, including the WordPress plugin, which you said was mine, but uh, your name is on it as well. In fact, it was based on some of your your code. So I I, I feel like I may be getting a little too much uh, too much credit here. Um, so lots of people contributed, and it's, it was, as you said, it sounds like a simple thing, but it does take a lot of people kind of hammering on a spec like this to come up with something that, that is simple and readable and clear and concise that makes sense, that isn't like overly complicated. A lot of specs become overly complicated too soon and because they want to be flexible and solve all problems. And I feel like just the right amount of people were involved in this to make sure that it stayed clean and elegant and not like 
overburdened with trying mm-hmm. to do too much. And hopefully that will make it successful. And I really um, thank you for acknowledging that, you know, myself and other people were involved. But I think this, to your point, this succeeded in part because it was driven by you and Brent Simmons. And it wasn't, in that sense, it wasn't designed by committee. It was feedback by committee. Right. <laughs> and that's a very important distinction when you have a group effort going on. I think that there's something to be said for some very strong, you know, opinions in the, at the head of an effort. Um, and I think it turned out really well. I think it's one of these things where um, if you could snap your fingers and say, in 2017, do we have RSS as XML or do we have JSON feed? Everyone would snap their fingers if, well, not everybody, you know, there's some, some people love XML. Um, and, uh, but a lot of people who resent having to work with XML would certainly snap their fingers and say, why don't we just all just switch to this new thing? And it's not going to happen overnight. Um, but there's one funny thing I want to add, Manton, is I'm looking at my Twitter feed here and I see, one tweet after the other. One says, why has it taken so long for this to happen? <laughs> and then the next one says, looks interesting, though I do wonder why. <laughs> so it's like, why is the, is, the, uh, is, the, is the strand that connects these sentiments? But um, it makes me also appreciate that there's a lot of people who are like excited about this and a lot of people who are perplexed by it. Maybe, you know, a few people who are probably a little uh, antagonistic towards it, but that's a perfect um, recipe for opening a discussion about it. And if, if anything, even if this format fails, having a discussion about feed formats is kind of a victory in itself. Right. Yeah. I think that's a great point just getting people to talk and think about this is useful and to get people to kind of dust off their feeds and kind of just look at yep. them again, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, and that's really the goal is just like kind of jumpstart something, get people thinking about it. For my perspective, of course, uh, I want a format that works really well with microblogs and RSS, you know, works for microblogs, but there's lots of little asterisks and disclaimers and like with something like JSON feed, you can say from the very beginning, this is a great format for microblogs. And, you know, of course we include, you know, in the spec, an example, and we talk about that and some other examples, podcasts and whatnot that people expect. But yeah, it's an opportunity just for people to think about this and talk about yep. it. And that's great. Well, congratulations, Manton. Congratulations to Brent Simmons. And uh, I think it's going to be interesting. I'm really impressed with the response so far and it'll be interesting to see as in particular as uh, news readers hopefully add support for this uh, I don't know I'm going to be interested to see if I can if I can open a newsreader and start adding uh, JSON feed content and maybe in another year I'll just be thinking of all that XML content as legacy corrupt <laughs> okay our first sponsor this week is Digimark With the Digimark Discover SDK, apps get the best mobile scanner of the most common traditional 1D barcodes. It's lightning fast, super reliable, and inexpensive. App users experience incredible scanning performance regardless of varying distances, perspectives, blur, glare, and challenging barcodes. No more fumbling or frustration. 
In addition to scanning the most common traditional 1D barcodes, as well as QR codes, the Digimark Discover Mobile SDK also future-proofs apps with the exclusive capability to scan Digimark barcodes. These are imperceptible codes used in product packaging, print, and audio media for delivering digital product information and content. So it's one software kit with unlimited possibilities. Check out digimark.com slash mobile SDK for more information. Thanks to Digimark for sponsoring the show. Yeah, Daniel, do you remember Delicious Library? The app? Of course. From, yeah, so like Will Shipley blogged a few times about like writing scanning software for books. Here at oh, yeah. And, and I remember sometimes he would have to rewrite the algorithm and like you know, the lighting has to be just right with the camera. And it's a very hard problem. And I'm sure he spent months working on that. And I think my advice to developers, like that worked for him and he needed to do that because it was a long time ago. But now don't spend so much time reinventing the wheel when you have the Digimark SDK. I had an app uh, that I worked on for a client a year or two ago now. And I wish I had known about this because I could have just dropped it in. The Digimark SDK handles scanning. It has you know great algorithms for you know, kind of low light conditions and you know just like not the perfect time to, to, to take a barcode picture. And it supports a bunch of different kinds of QR codes and barcodes. And it's just, it will save you time if scanning is something that your app does. Either it's an important thing or it's like an extra thing that you want your app to do, but it's not worth investing weeks or months working on that kind of feature or finding example code and testing it and that kind of thing. Check out Digimark SDK. You can learn more at digimark.com slash mobile SDK. Thanks to Digimark for sponsoring the show. So Daniel, big day today, talking about the excitement with JSON feed. There's another big news today that is not exciting, but is equally or more so dramatic. And that's Panic has a post about stolen source code. Someone used a exploit in Handbrake and they actually got the source to Panic's apps, some of their apps. Yeah. This is incredible, and it's like I mean, it's it's many faceted. It's like there's a there's a great panic blog post about this. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, many facets to this, including whoa, we all need to like re revisit our um, assumptions about you know what we do and whether we're making ourselves vulnerable to hacks. I think a lot of us assume because the Mac is kind of a relatively low target that we're not, you know, I think for many years, a lot of us have been like, ah, we don't run PCs, so we don't get hacked. And, you know, even to the point where it's like Apple introducing sandboxing and gatekeeper, a lot of us, I think we're kind of like, well, that's just more annoying than it is helpful because, you know, now I can't run my favorite app and da 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 And in this case... You know, um, it, 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 it's worth noting that, you know, poor Stephen Frank, who was the one at, at, at Panic who was who was hacked, he acknowledges all of the... And I think this is really valuable because acknowledging all of this makes it so we can all put ourselves in Stephen's shoes and understand how easy it would be to, to have this happen. And he acknowledges that in order to be, to be hacked in the way that he was... He had to, first of all, like get a notice that said, you know, you need to go download a new version of this app from the web. 
that might have been legitimate. Um, but, you know, that was step one. And then he went to the web, and then it turns out the mirror of the handbrake, like, web host, you know, site that he was on, I guess, had been compromised. And he downloaded a hacked version of Handbrake. And, you know, that's stage one. And then in order to actually get hacked, he had to, um, he thinks, he probably, you know, allowed it to bypass the gatekeeper thing. So you double-click the app and it says, this is an untrusted developer. And I totally understand this because... There, not everybody signs their apps, and especially in the open source community, it can be rare for people to bother getting a, um, a developer ID from Apple to sign the apps. And so, like for instance, the other day, and hopefully I'm not hacked now, the other day I went to reinstall um, Mercurial, and Mercurial from the like secure, as far as I can tell, Mercurial homepage is an installer that is not signed with developer ID. So I know mm -hmm. this feeling, okay, um, I've gotten in the habit of double-clicking these things, and usually they just work. Every once in a while it says, this is not a trusted developer, and then I have to think quickly, okay, is this um, an app, a beta test version of an app that a friend of mine put together and then sent me a link to? Is this an open-source developer who hasn't bothered to get uh, developer ID is this, and this is very common. Is this an an app that is so old that hasn't been updated in so long that it was created and packaged before Apple even had developer ID? The funny thing with that one is I've even run across Apple apps that meet that standard. Hmm. So, um, like developer tools of theirs that you can still download. Right. Um, so anyway. Steven does this whole process, clicks on that, probably says, okay, fine, you know, I'll do the little hack, which is right-click or control-click and open yeah. to work around Gatekeeper. Which is a very reasonable thing to see. I mean, Handbrake is an, is an old app that's been around for a long time. It's open source. It's not unreasonable at all to assume that it's just existing like it's always existed, where you have to yep. say, I trust this app because I've used it a thousand times and everything's cool. Yeah. And then the final step is, I guess it said, you know, this app needs your permission, your your password to make changes or whatever. And it's one of those things. It's just another one of those things where it's like, well, I know Handbrake is a pretty sophisticated app. Maybe to do what it does somehow, blah, 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 it needs to. I, I can just see the, the line of thinking that leads you to say, okay, I downloaded this from Handbrake. I basically trust them. They need access for some reason. And nowhere along this line of thinking do you indulge the idea, oh, I wonder if somebody hacked Handbrake and Handbrake doesn't even know it yet and I'm the, unwill, uh, the unwitting victim of a hack. So this is what happened to Stephen Frank at Panic. He was the unwitting victim of the hack. He ran this compromised version of Handbrake. It installed some code, I guess, um, that gave access. I don't know what it did. I, uh, I, I, it may even say it in the post. I didn't. Um, I don't have it at the at the top of my mind. But whatever it is, they got access to um, the Git repositories of Panic, or they got like the ability to access at least. You know, they have a copy of a lot of Panic source code. And as Stephen describes it in the blog post, basically it came down to. 
they sent them a ransom note and said, we need a bunch of money with Bitcoin or we're going to give your source code away to everybody. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. They got the FBI involved. They got Apple involved. Like, this is a serious... Right. This is a serious deal. And they they treated it exactly how I think you should, which is to be very paranoid and cautious and reset all the things. You know, like the last thing you want to do, like I'd be concerned with two things if this happened to me. The first thing is that I wouldn't notice what had happened. And of course, you're going to notice if someone threatens to release your code directly. Yes. But the, the second part is I'd worry that I would like drag my feet on certain things or I wouldn't be paranoid enough and like I'd miss I just overlook resetting like one server password or something like that. And yeah. they, they were very good about going through all the things and resetting things that they didn't even need to. Um, rolling back, you know, the developer, developer ID, making a new one, doing new builds of their apps. Mm-hmm. And it, it, the most fascinating thing to me about the outcome, it kind of the the end result is a, uh, they just have to move on, right? And I, I like that they they considered, he says, we even half seriously consider releasing the source code ourselves, right? Just like get it out in front of it. Like, you know, forget right. it. We're just going to release it ourselves. You have no power over us. Right. And he says that when the idea was floated, we realized there wouldn't be any fallout other than a lot of code questions. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and that's when we truly found, felt free. And I think that's true. I, I think... I, I don't think, like, if they released their source uh, quietly, like not telling anyone, yeah, uh, I don't think their sales would suffer. People still want to buy supported software that is maintained, especially if it's code that is not up to date. If it's like, if you release parts at it, like 1.0 source, that would be yeah. interesting, but I don't think it would hurt Mars at force chances. I totally agree, and I think in a way this is kind of an ex- uh, uh, is kind of an extension of this great idea that got stuck in my mind many many years ago. I think by Guy Kawasaki, um, which is the idea that ideas are not valuable. You know, yeah, like um, the idea like you you have these like people who are like, listen, I got a really great idea for a new iOS app, and how about I tell you the idea and, and you build it and support it and we'll split the money half half and half and it's like no your idea is worthless um <laughs> it, you know you might have a good inspiration but without the execution without the support without the ongoing iteration it's actually pretty worthless you know the the sad thing is even an idea realized as many people have learned an idea realized and realized with talent and with elegance isn't necessarily necessarily even valuable, um, you know. Ask ask ninety five percent of App Store developers. Um, hey, so and I'm just saying, like, there's something to this idea. I think this is sort of an extension of it. That okay, you know, some people think you have a great idea, a brilliant idea, and then you're going to be rich. Some people think you have a brilliant idea and a copy of panic source code and you're going to be rich (laughs) and some people think you know i don't know maybe you have a a copy of panic source code and i don't know uh you you take over panic today and, and and the whole company and but none of their employees none of their engineers none of their support team and you're going to be rich and even that's not true you like you you, right. with, without without the ability to be to maintain 
an ongoing relationship with customers and to develop the app. And I, I love this part of the post too. They said one of the things that assured them that this was not as big of a deal as they thought was, quote, with every day that passes, that stolen source code is more and more out of date. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that was a snapshot of what, that was a snapshot of panic at its best one week ago or one month ago, whenever this happened. Yeah. And um, I actually think about this a lot too. Some Sometimes when I'm thinking about piracy and, and copy protection, it's just like, you know, a lot of times with software, you get these situations where like somebody hacks, you know, speaking of like, you know, your reference to Mars at 1.0, it's not as severe as that, but sometimes I'll see like, oh, there's a pirated copy of Mars edit 3.5 and I'm like up at 3.8 or something. Um, and I think, well, it sucks for them that they don't have any of the improvements between 3.5 and now. And if, and if they don't care about those improvements, well, maybe they should just keep using the, the pirated version, you know, like the, just all reinforces the idea that, um, the value in software is very much related to the ongoing, um, you know, the, the, the sort of ongoing adaptation of the software to new circumstances, fixing bugs, adding new features, responding to customers, supporting customers, all of these things that if you just take a really narrow view of what the value of software is, it's like the narrower you get, the more laughable it gets. And this ransom demander has one of the most narrow views of all, which is if people have a copy of your source code, which is not licensed to them, so they can't even legally use it to build mm-hmm. a competitor, then you are somehow going to be like irreparably harmed. And I think I really feel for panic, and I really don't want a copy of all my source code out in the world. Right. But um, I think they're right to come to the conclusion that this is sort of like, sort of like a, a, a ransom where they don't actually have, um, where they haven't actually kidnapped anything. Of, of serious value. Yeah, code is different than stealing money or stealing property, physical objects. I mean, it's it doesn't work the same way. Mm-hmm. You can't expect to just be able to hold it up, hold it hostage, and expect the same kind of things to happen as if you were holding up a bank or something. And it's much more complicated than that. And I'm sure this these days when panic was calling the FBI and working through this and, you know, resetting the passwords and making sure their servers weren't compromised and things like that. And that's the other good news here is that it could have been a lot worse, right? Like they didn't have passwords or credit cards leaked or, you know, anything like when you hear about really bad data breaches, sometimes it's much, much, much worse than this. Um, I'm sure that those days were difficult and stressful and they were up at night worrying if it's going to affect their business they're the kind of company that like thinks through things logically, doesn't make any, you know, rash decisions and figure out how to move on from it. And yeah. I have no doubt that this, uh, that, you know, six months from now, like sales will be good of transmit and, and Coda and, uh, right. they'll hopefully be able to look back on this and not laugh, but kind of see the, yeah. see it in context, see it, see it kind of for what it is, uh, Mm-hmm. In the, like the larger and panic's been around for a very very long time 20 years how long has panic been around right um, i think 20 years 20 yeah. years right and so like in that kind of context and looking back five years from now 
you know, you can kind of, you can kind of see not the foolishness of this ransom thing, but just how it, it, it wasn't enough to stop them from doing what they need to do for customers and their apps. Yeah. One, one thing to add to your point about like, this isn't money. It's not, it's not a tangible, you know, asset. Um, one interesting thing is if it got me thinking when you were saying that, what would be a ransom worthy threat would be if, um, if an attacker managed to get the only copy of your source code. Interesting. So, you know, this this yeah. whole, like this whole idea of like, um, you know, when they encrypt your stuff and say like, you need to pay us for a key. Right. Um, or so like, for example, let's, let's say your stuff is only hosted on GitHub mm-hmm. and you're a single one person developer team and they compromise your one Mac and your GitHub account. Yeah. And they say, Oh, we have your source code, and it's not we're, It's not that we're going to give it to the world. It's that we're not going to give it back to you unless you give us the money. And ironically, their 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 thought about just making their source code public would ensure against that, because then mm-hmm. there would be like thousands of copies of the source code. Yeah. Um, and so, but it makes me think. Just like it makes me take stock of like, okay. Um. Do I have a copy of my source code in enough locations that I wouldn't be completely devastated mm-hmm. if somebody compromised me? Yeah, because that's difficult to recover from. Yeah. And I I think Panic could recover from that. Yeah. But it's difficult because it would set them back. The, the last six months they've been working on this new version or whatever, it would set them back. Um, six months, 12 months, would set them back quite a bit. Well, assuming they even have a copy of the older source code. Oh, right. New, right. I'm assuming they'd have to start over. And, and yes, so maybe right. it sets them back more than 12 months. But, you know, but yeah, it, the yeah. point is it sets them back significantly. And mm-hmm. I, I think they could recover from that. But like you and I, maybe not. No. I mean, it's that's a, that's a great question. And uh, I guess a reminder to check your backups. Yeah. Make sure check your backups and and maybe make sure. I mean, what it makes me think is maybe. Um, well, you know, I feel pretty good because I have some physical backups that mm-hmm. are not connected to the cloud, not connected to the web at a given time. But you know, it sort of drives home the idea that you should diversify your backups, and maybe that means putting a copy of your, you know, whatever your vital, um, you know, assets as far as intellectual property maybe put them on a portable hard drive this whole old trick about like getting a safety deposit box at the bank there's something to that like just every once in a while like if you did that even every six months then the worst somebody could do is wipe you out for six months of Mm -hmm. your progress and that would be horrible right but compared to the alternative obviously it would be a welcome Mm -hmm. (laughs) option yeah that's scary and of course there's more you know, and more apps have both an app and some kind of web services or server thing. You know, that yep. data on the server is often not taken care of as well as it could be. You know, there's mm-hmm. not enough backups or like, you know, they're automating a backup to S3 or someplace and they don't check it and realize it's all corrupted. I mean, this happens all the time. And uh, yeah, it's just, uh, I'm, I'm panicking now myself. I need to go check everything. <laughs> but uh, this is a really interesting story, and I'm glad Panic shared it. And 
think things are going to be okay for them, but yep. I'm sorry they had to go through this. Me too. Yeah. Horrible. Okay, folks, our second sponsor this week is our friends at Linode. If you need a Linux box to host a website, a private Git repository, or maybe to serve as a backend for your latest iOS app, consider Linode Cloud Hosting. Linode has been doing infrastructure as a service since 2003. They give their customers free upgrades, and they have eight global data centers equipped with industry-leading data center-grade SSDs. Now, if you have your own old-style shared hosting plan, you know, where you log in and you have a home directory and you're living on a server with a bunch of other, a bunch of other uh, users and you think, this is great, this is so affordable, it's easy, but then you can't do anything. And what makes Linode so much different is you get full root access on your own virtual machine. So you have full control of your VMs, your containers, and everything. They also give you clear, precise hourly billing and you can set a monthly pricing cap. They have add-ons for load balancing, system metrics, and backups, and they have great support. You can contact Linode 24 hours, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. And icing on the cupcake here is they offer a promo code for our listeners, $20 credit if you use the code CoreInt2017. That's CoreInt2017. So go to linode.com slash coreint, and actually it'll have a little message there reminding you of that promo code and see all the great things Linode can do for you. Thanks so much to Linode for sponsoring the show. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Linode. Of course, I use it for micro.blog, and I'm continuing to uh, do a lot of server work. You know, sysadmin stuff isn't really my specialty, but I can get by enough, and I'm happy enough with the way Linode manages servers that I can get a lot done. And lately... As I've been scaling up micro.blog, I've taken a closer look at like memory usage, disk space, things like that. And one of the things I really like about Linode is they have this kind of um, stats kind of um, a monitoring package called Longview. And you can install it on one of your servers, just like one little shell script line, installs it, gets everything set up. And then you get this nice web dashboard, you know, of like over the last 30 minutes or over the last 12 hours or whatever, you know, is disk space going up? You get these graphs, memory processes, like what's using a lot of, um, you know, what's taking up time on your server. Um, they have support for like Nginx and Apache and things like that. So you can get like requests per second and get these stats. And so they have a lot of the stuff that's just built in to having a Linode account. So I can't recommend them enough. Check out Leno.com slash Corint to learn more. Well, Manson, I don't know if you've noticed during the course of this podcast um, that my voice sounds like a big, fancy, rich MacBook Pro 2016 <laughs> owning totally on top of the world touch bar enthusiast mac user Fancy. do i sound like is there a certain sheen to my voice <laughs> touch bar have you been like touching the touch bar like skype buttons and effects i have and touched <laughs> i have touched the touch bar once or twice um you know my my my, uh, my voice might have a little bit of um of uh, usb c to usb adapter <laughs> fuzz <laughs> uh but you know he, i was not planning on buying a new macbook pro and um i think i mentioned to you last week i don't know if i mentioned it on the show but basically my macbook pro my 2000 i had a late 2013 
MacBook Pro, and it was fine. I mean, I was like slowly wearing through the keycaps on the on the keyboard, um, but it was fine. It was reliable. It had a Retina screen. It was pretty fast still, even after three years. Um, it had all of my favorite ports, had <laughs> USB. Um, had uh, well, I had to have a dongle for the Ethernet already, but um, it's a different dongle. And I was thinking, like, why am I going to update to this this new MacBook Pro? Um, it's got a touch bar. I sort of think that's a cool idea, but I'm also like hesitant about not having a real escape key. Um, it just didn't seem worth it to spend. It turned out like, you know, I think I ended up spending like twenty seven hundred dollars on this dang thing. <laughs> um, can you tell I'm not super excited about it? I don't hate it. It's just the funny thing is I don't feel like I got $2,700 worth of, um, of new greatness in my life. Yeah. And I'm looking, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at my old MacBook pro and I need to make an appointment with, uh, with the Apple store. Um, cause that thing, I think what frustrates me, and this probably frustrates a lot of people who are into the Mac ecosystem right now, is this computer I bought three years ago is pretty darned good compared to the computer I bought last week. And usually when you buy a new computer of the same class three years later, I don't know if you remember this. I certainly remember it. You'd have that kind of like blown away feeling. Right. Like, oh, that's so much faster. And, oh, the graphics are so much nicer. And the I don't know what the keyboard is so much nicer. I say that in particular because the keyboard is still sort of a up in the air for me, whether I like the keyboard or not, but there's just a lot of things. Um, I'm not sure about interestingly enough. The one thing I'm pretty psyched about, even though it does mean the addition of dongles is I like, I kind of like USB C. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, all and, along, I've never complained about the switch to USB-C. You know, a lot of people lumped USB-C in the same category as, like, no headphone jack on the yeah. iPhone. Not the same at all. In fact, the opposite. USB-C is a standard that mm-hmm. a bunch of things support, and it is our one hope to have a single connector between lots <laughs> right. of different devices. So I that's compelling to me. You know what's interesting too? I, I mean, I've I've listened to a lot of the analysis, for instance, on the Accidental Tech podcast about this, um, and it's all been kind of like abstract to me because I've never owned a USB C computer or phone. And um, the first thing now I feel like I, I think I remember hearing some debates about this, thinking like, "No, you can you can pry lightning from my dead cold hands," <laughs> and now I'm like. Dang, it would be nice if my phone had USB-C mm-hmm. yeah. because I've got this USB-C cord hanging out. You know, I ordered I ordered a new. Um, I always do this when I buy a MacBook. Uh, I order an extra power supply because there's basically like my office and then like my little like camp out area in the common area of our house. And I love being able to plug in my MacBook whether I'm in my office or in the sort of common area. So I bought a new USB-C power supply from Apple, and only after buying it did I second-guess myself, because I was realizing, like, wait a minute, I don't have to buy this from Apple. Like, this is a thing that delivers power over a standard plug 
to my MacBook. So I was like, all it has to be is, theoretically, to like match Apple's standard, all it has to be is 87 watts. So like it kind of sent me into like a little tizzy. I was like, what is this strange world I live in where I can buy a standard thing as a power supply for my Mac? <laughs> and I didn't, to be fair, I didn't end up buying one of those. I'm still a little gun shy about... Um, about you know, power yeah. seems like a kind of important thing. Well, you, so, like, you hear so many problems of like you yeah. buy a two dollar cable and it's not insulated well or whatever and catches fire. Yeah, I I don't I I grumble about paying the premium for Apple cables, but I don't really mind yeah. it either. On the other hand, though, you know what occurred to me and the first the first regret I had after spending this this is the other like grumpy thing about this is to buy a power adapter with the USB-C cable that you need, you know, to plug it into your Mac, it's $100 because it's $80 for the power brick and plug and then $20 for the USB-C cable yeah. that goes with that. Ouch. And so I was kind of like, Ugh, well, I guess if I'm spending $2,700 on this dang thing, you know, <laughs> it's like just open my wallet, take all my money. Yeah. Um, but the immediate regret or like theoretical regret I had after that was – what if there's um, like a, it's just like opening my mind to the fact that this is a standard. My immediate like thought was, what if there's actually a wall outlet that I could just plug the USB-C cord into? Right. There probably and is if, by now, right? And there are, but, um, but they, don't, they don't go as high as the 87 watts okay. that Apple seems to think is appropriate for this MacBook Pro. And I don't know if that just means it would charge slower. Um, mm-hmm probably means it might be able to like outrun the charge like wear it down faster and it also sort of gets back to the whole like do i really trust some other um electronics you know or electrical company to to make a product that's gonna you know feed into my precious three thousand dollar mac um but i could see how down the road will we will probably live in a world where you know um reputable electronic or uh, sorry electric companies reputable products from you know the people who make all the outlets that you plug space heaters and everything else in your house into it's not un, it's not unlikely that they're going to have little USB-C sockets on them right i mean everything else has USB plugs on it yeah airplanes and blow outlets and little charging station you know we were out doing an errand and there's like a little near the bench like near this shopping area whatever there's like a little usb charging outlet kind of thing and the the switch from you know type a or whatever to c it's, i mean it's not going to be completely seamless but no. it's everything it's going to be it's going to happen and it's going to happen pretty soon probably i mean there's so many like our nintendo switch is usb c the apple tv is usb c new macbooks a lot of Android phones. Uh, it, it, it's a good thing. One less cable to have to worry about. So you've mentioned a few times $2,700. So I assume you bought basically the top of the line 15-inch? I'm pretty much the top of the line. Okay. I didn't splurge for like the, you know, you can get like the the like pretty good, you can you can pay like a few hundred dollars more for like, I need 0.3 gigahertz more Okay, right. <laughs> performance. I don't usually go for that because it just feels like, I won't notice that, and it's just like. And you probably like didn't max out like SSD. Um, I didn't max it out, but I did upgrade it to. I matched my old configuration, which was one terabyte. Okay. So I think that's like I think it maybe defaults to 
256. It's, and that's just, yeah. it's just not enough for me. Um, but I, so I got a 256 and I think I upped the Ram to 16 gigabytes. Mm-hmm. The, the thing though, I, I actually saved some money because I actually bought through the refurbished program. Okay. So that saved me about $500, actually. The touch bar doesn't work. It's all like glitchy. <laughs> right. Other than that. <laughs> Nothing works. But no, no, no. The, you know, the yeah. refurbished program, I have pretty pretty good confidence in, in Apple that a lot of the refurbished. I mean, I have a confidence that they make all the refurbished things that they sell actually pass all their tests and basically work well. Mm-hmm. And it comes um, with the same warranty and everything. It comes right? with the same warranty. And in, in fact, it's like. You know, I guess there's a chance you could be working with a lemon that they just like patch up and like resell again. But I don't think they would do that if they knew it was a lemon. And um, in fact, like you probably get a computer that has been vetted for functionality, possibly better than the ones that came off the line, you know, mass produced. Because somebody had to like go in and like restore it and say, yep, this thing works again Mm -hmm. now or you know, a lot of these are probably just people also who bought it and said, oh, it turns out I hate touch bars. Yeah. Return it. One day you know? before the yeah. whatever, how many week period is over, they returned it. And yeah, yeah. I, I agree. It's a low risk kind of thing. But essentially, you know, kind of getting back to your point of the money, Apple has released a new MacBook Pro that is better in some ways than the previous one. But you're also paying for things you didn't really ask for, you know, mm-hmm. like you, the touch bar and things like that. Like you're paying extra because it costs more, obviously, to make this, you know, right. yep. um, different, you know, extra processor, extra screen. Like, I mean, there's and so it's interesting that MacBooks just cost more now because of that. And I don't I don't know how yeah. I feel about that. Um, like the last. So my MacBook. Pro that I use right now is the 13 inch um, mid 2014, and I think I paid 2,000 ish for it. Yeah, and it uh, you know 512 I think gigabytes. I, it's a, it's a good computer. Um, it, it's really it's great in a lot of ways. Sometimes I'm tempted to go to 15 inch, but but I basically paid 2,000 ish for it. And I think if I was going to get something that was like a normal standard kind of upgrade, like faster and a little better, it would be quite a bit more. Uh, and so uh, it's I don't know. It's just kind of an interesting thing, and that was mm-hmm. reflected on Apple's earnings report too. I think in terms of the average selling price for MacBooks is you know surprise it's it's more. They're yeah. making more. <laughs> they're right. making more money and. It's uh, and hopefully everyone's happy. People love the touch bar and and whatnot. But like, did that ever cross your mind? Did you ever think, no, I need the, you know, the nicknamed the MacBook Escape, like no touch bar. The it, it, it definitely uh, crossed my mind. Uh, it crossed my mind to the extent that if they sold the 15 inch without the touch bar, which they don't, then I think I would have bought without the touch bar. Okay. And um, I always forget and, the the fifteen is yep yeah right so I you know you get the option of no touch bar on the thirteen inch and the funny thing is so we've been going crazy here at the my household um, I bought this for myself and then my wife has been way overdue for a computer forever so I actually also bought a thirteen inch and she didn't want the touch bar so okay. you know so I bought that one huh. for her um, and. Uh, so we got funny thing is I got and like, then you bought your credit, son a cre- Mac Pro <laughs> and then you got <laughs> the credit the credit card company actually called me and was like 
Some very suspicious yeah. stuff is going on. No one needs more than one computer. What are you doing? Nobody buys, nobody buys more than one MacBook <laughs> like within two days. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I if this is all just, I, I probably wouldn't have gotten the Touch Bar um, if I had the choice not to get it. On the other hand, it fits with my feeling like I should understand the touch bar more. Right. I mean, you wrote a whole app of like uh, <laughs> that it was know, touch bar I related. <laughs> I know. It's funny. Yeah. Um, I haven't, I have to say, I haven't used the touch bar much at all yet. Um, but I will say, to my relief, the escape key has not been a problem at all i could and i i've i've noticed that i like just instinctively tap up there in the same way i would if i was going for the real escape key and i think it just works so i think whatever they did with that it's working for me and the irony is i'm not completely sold on the um on the sort of low action clicky clacky keyboard mm-hmm. um i the funny thing is i use my macbook in my office with an external keyboard. So I'm talking to you right now, looking at my external keyboard, which I, to be honest, I love it. It's the standard like external Mac uh, keyboard from like this past, you know, couple years or so. I like this amount of um, key, you know, action. I like the size of the key caps. Um, And it's been a little bit of a struggle to get used to, the noise of the MacBook Pro's keyboard, the low action, the uh, the size of the keycaps, like they really extend farther than the other ones did. Um, so I'm a little I'm a little bummed about that, but it's one of those things. I have been around the block a few times with Apple. Like I remember even on this show, Manton, how bummed out I was when they changed the size of the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, this thing's not even going to fit in my pocket anymore. And to be honest with you, I could care less now. Like, yeah, that is get used an- to things. ancient history. Um, and I could get used to this keyboard. I hope I do. Um, I think it's a great computer that challenges the, um, it challenges the sort of uh, what we're accustomed to if we've had a MacBook before. And so, like, I think somebody who bought this computer as their first Mac would be delighted with it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ugh, it doesn't have an escape key. These keycaps are too, you know, big. Um, you know, I don't like the noise of the keyboard. And it's all kind of like the same kind of stuff to make a metaphor. Like, I'm the kind of personality where, like, if I'm going to sleep in, like, a strange place, I'll, like, hear the trucks going by outside or, you know, the light, the the light in the room will bother me. And like, and then a couple of days later, it'll be like, I don't even care about that. Um, but I get really bent out of shape about that kind of stuff at the beginning. So <laughs> right. it's like change changes to my environment or the, my expectations about how things behave really bug me. I have to concede. They probably bug me more than the average person. Um, so I think it's a great computer. I, like I said, I wish it gave me a little bit more of a feeling of like, wow, this is a great computer. Yep. But um, the nice thing is, I don't think I even mentioned this. The reason I ended up buying this is my old computer is crashing uh, randomly. Yeah, and so I think it's a heat issue. So I'm going to make a Genius Bar appointment and see what they can do for me. But um, this is all in the sort of like my long-term plan is sort of like, eh, I've never actually gotten my kids a computer. So if I can, com- if I can repair this, um, 
this old MacBook Pro. Mm-hmm. It'll be a good like kids computer. Right. That's cool. Anyway, that's how I'm working here in Rich Richie Richville, where you just throw <laughs> around twenty seven hundred dollars on new computers because you can't be bothered to deal with your old computer crashing. Yeah, all that savings, not having to go to WWDC, you know, can offset that's some of that. That's a good the, point. That, that is cost. a very good point. That makes me feel a lot better, actually, Manton. Sell your computer so, and come out to San Jose. Come on, right. sell it right now. Return it. <laughs> well, you all are basking in the glow of the San Jose drainage ditch. I will be sitting here with my fancy new computer, cursing at the clicking keycaps and plugging in dongles. Well, hopefully it at least gets you back to being productive too if that other computer was slowing you down. Yeah, and it that'll, was frustrating. That'll pay for itself if you if you've been wasting hours and days That's rebooting right. and dealing with it and, you know, that it, sometimes it's okay I think to throw a little money at a problem. Uh, or even a lot, yep. if it'll pay off over. I mean, you're, you're going to keep this computer for years, so yeah, probably a good investment. And we'll just have to check back, you know, maybe in a few weeks, months, to see if you've you've returned it or not. Because we we've certainly known some people who yeah. thought it was going to be great and ended up returning it. So I don't think that'll happen yep. with you, but who knows? We'll we'll check back in later. I actually set an OmniFocus reminder for a week from the purchase date mm-hmm. to consider returning it. Okay. And that's because Apple has this generous, no questions asked, 14-day return period. And it's like everything changes on day 15. Like, you, you know, day 14, you're like, cool, I'm just, I decided I don't want this. Day 15, it's like, sorry, you can't return that. We'll try to fix it, whatever. You can sell it on eBay. But um, if, you, if, you, if you have the feeling that you're going to return a Mac, return it before 14 days. That's the rule. Yeah, but advice. I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna hold on to it. But um, it's just something that you know it's one of the many great things that Apple does to give you some confidence in buying and seeing how it goes. So cool. Well, good talking to you this week, Daniel. And thanks everyone for listening to the show. Of course, if you want to send us feedback at Corrent on Twitter or at Corrent Jobs or jobs.corrent.org. If you want to check out a job, need to hire someone, need to find a new iOS or Mac or Swift or Objective-C developer or a new job for yourself, check that out. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. It's winding down now, almost June, almost WWDC. Literally, I can't believe this. It's a couple weeks away. So, Oh, my God. We'll, uh, Everything we'll, will change. Yeah. I, uh, we'll, we'll check back in maybe next week on predictions and, and whatnot. But uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's coming up. So we'll uh, talk to you next week. See you then.